So as we continue in our Living in Remembrance series, I want to take just a brief few moments to remind us of what we covered last week because we're going to continue to build upon these things. And I want, it, I want us to have it in our mind. In the Living Remembrance series, of course, we're talking about the whole issue of in remembrance is far more than some mental recollection of something that happened thousands of years ago. But in remembrance, when Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me, meant entirely that he intends to make himself just as present with us today as he was with his disciples, granting us the continued experience with him time and time again every time that we gather so that we are being transformed by the experience of Christ who is in our midst every time that we gather together as His dear family and as the royal priesthood to offer our worship to Him and receive all of the benefits of the kingdom of God that He offers. And we're looking at the liturgy to start out with because our entire faith is shown and demonstrated in the liturgy. The actions that we do, the things that we pray, the things that we say, and all of the things that we see and hear and receive show us the entirety of the salvation of God to His people. And so we start with the liturgy. And last week, we talked about our role. I even mentioned it today again. The vocation of the Christian is the royal priesthood. You are priest as much as I am. I serve a role in the body of Christ in this life right now. And you serve a role in the body of Christ in this life right now. You are a priest. Every last one of you. And you have the vocation of offering to God. Every time we gather together, we offer ourselves, we offer bread and wine that He might offer Himself back to us as He blesses it, and we also offer the world to God for salvation every time that we gather together. This is our role. And I told you before, I have to pray prayers of preparation, and they're very specific, both before and when I come. And I encouraged you, not encouraged you because I want to just exhort you towards something. There is a role you have to prepare yourselves as the priesthood. And that's what we talked about last week. Okay, Because we looked at the words of St. Paul from Corinthians, where Paul says, coming to Eucharist and dealing with all the disorders that were already starting to happen in the Corinthian church. St. Paul said, before you come... Let a man examine himself and then take the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we're called to prayerful examination and preparation as the priesthood of all believers to examine ourselves so that we are prepared in our soul and body and mind to make our offerings to God. And we talked about the beginning of Mass is actually further preparation for what we're actually there to do. Remember we talked about how the Mass starts, the very first prayer that we pray, even though I voice it, and always remember that concept. The priest is not the one who prays. I may utter the words, but every one of us lifts them up because we all seal them together with that blessed word, Amen, let it be so. We are praying, not one man. In fact, you ought to see the priest in any church, you, any Orthodox church you ever go to as the lead worshiper. 
He's leading the way that we all follow and do together in prayer and in, in our worship. And so we come in the liturgy. One of the first prayers that we pray is the collect of purity. And it's that collect prayer, remember, that says, Almighty God, to you all hearts are open, all desires known, from whom no secrets are hid. In other words, we joked around a little bit last week and said, this is the prayer of stop kidding yourself. This is the prayer of it gets real now. Right? That Christ is truly with us. Therefore, we respond as if he is. And he sees everything. So we bring to him with authenticity our authentic selves in all of our weaknesses and all of our deficiencies as well, of all, as well as all of our victories. And the victories are only because of him. So we even bring that to him in praise for what he did. So the collect of purity puts, the, puts us in that mindset of Christ is here. I'm not going to play around. I have to offer who I am, strengths and weaknesses and everything. <clears throat> And then just after the collect of purity, Jesus drops the plumb line. You hear Christ say through the deacon, the summary of the law. Here is our faith. Here is what Christ did, everything he did to do to allow us a way once again to be in such fellowship and union with the Holy Trinity that we live a life that our lives are being transformed to be like him. And so the plumb line is the summary of the law that Jesus said, love the Lord God with all your heart. Everything you are, all your heart, all your mind, all of your soul. The second part, love your neighbor as yourself. That plumb line is dropped so that we examine ourselves again. Because there's not one of us in this room, and there's not one of us that will ever go to that place. None of us that have fulfilled that perfectly. We're in process. By the grace of God, we're in process to be made whole again. Being made whole again means being made into His likeness. And there it is in the summary of the law. And so when we see the summary of the law, the very next thing we do is cry out like the publican with humility. Lord have mercy. Lord have mercy. Lord have mercy. Christ have mercy. Christ have mercy. Christ have mercy. And Lord have mercy three more times. So even the beginning of Mass is that incredible preparation. And so last week... I handed you this card in case you didn't have any prayer books. If you don't have any prayer books, and I encourage you to have some, we're going to actually take care of that later on in this series. But I gave you the prayer preparation by St. John Chrysostom that we pray every Sunday immediately before we receive Eucharist. And I'm not going to go over that again. If you want to hear the teaching on that prayer and what all is in there, listen. And you weren't here last week, listen to it. It's online on our, on our website. Okay. So today... Before we get into moving beyond preparation, I do have a last word on preparation that I need to give you because we talked last week about preparing in your home. But what about the preparation once we arrive? We're not done preparing yet. Because there's actually a room that you have to pass through to get into the nave to do your spiritual act as the priesthood of all believers. And it's called the narthex. The narthex is the room through which you enter into the church. Every church is designed with a narthex because the temple in the Old Covenant had such a place. Narthex means portico or porch. The temple had a porch and in the porch before people would enter into the holy temple. 
there were actually, when you, especially beyond the tabernacle, when you did just the washing of the hands, in the temple there were actually ritual baths in the narthex, the portico, where people literally would go in to the water and ritually cleanse themselves before entering into the temple. What did that prefigure to the church? Baptism. And so the narthex is there just as it was in the old covenant worship as a place to prepare our soul for what did the, what did the people in the old covenant do? They entered to offer the sacrifice to the priest who would offer the sacrifice to God. And we have a narthex which is a place of preparation. So I want you when you come to church to slow down in the narthex. The narthex, and listen, I'm not telling you not to hug somebody or say hello in the narthex. I am telling you that its purpose is not a place of fellowship. It's a place of preparation. It's a place to continue that final preparation of the soul to go before God, who is inside waiting for us to come in, as we talked about last week and the week before. And so in the narthex, there are many things that we can do to prepare, and I encourage you to take advantage of many of them. First and foremost, one of the things that I do and many do that are here is when I walk in, I will go and I will reverence the icons that are there. What does that mean, reverence the icons? I'll pay attention. I don't worship them. We don't worship icons in the Orthodox Church. What am I doing? I'm honoring the people. I'm honoring the ones who gave their life so over to Christ that the church said they decreased so much and Christ increased so much in them that they are a, an example eternal for us. That we, we are all called to be capital S saints, by the way. Every last one of us. And we've been given the grace and divine power of God for such a thing. And so when I go in there to the icon of the Blessed Virgin and her child, or Saints Joachim and Anna, or St. Lawrence, or the icon of our Lord Jesus Christ, and I could go on and on, the icon of St. Peter, what is it that's helping us when we go and are attentive to those dear saints? Or even our Lord Jesus Christ. What is it that helps us by going and being attentive to them? It opens our minds to the fact that when we go in there to worship, we are going in there to worship with them. That when we worship, we worship in the eternal worship of God in heaven. I can't tell you how many times when I go in and reverence those icons, I find it so helpful because it opens up my scope to even remind me what I'm about to do. And then even when I sense the altar, my friends, at the very beginning during the intro, at that first sensing of the altar, you know, we have the six relics of the saints up there on the altar, and each one of them gets sensed. And in my mind, I am praying when I sense, oh, Lord, help us join with all of your saints. Open our eyes to that which is beyond just the physical and the finite. We are physical. But open our eyes beyond it. Because here the kingdom of God has gathered together to be with our Lord. And so by going and being attentive to those icons, even in the narthex, we are beginning to expand our vision. And God is beginning to help us in our blindness to grant us the full experience of the kingdom of God that occurs in the worship of His church when we gather before Him. So visit the icons. There are two kneelers in there. One of them is before the icon of Christ. Go and kneel for a moment and light a candle. 
And look at that candle. Christ is the light of the world. That's what it represents. Every time you see candles in the church, it always represents Christ being the light of the world. And I do the same thing even just before I enter in the procession. I go and kneel before our Lord Jesus Christ, His icon, and I pray in a final preparation, a prayer. And then when you enter into the narthex, I mean, excuse me, the nave from the narthex, you still have one thing to do left of preparation. And you'll notice that it's located on both the left and the right of the doors. And that is the holy water and the holy water fonts. Holy water, please remember, is always water set aside for baptism. Please understand what you're doing when you dip your three fingers, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, When you dip your three fingers in the holy water and make the sign of the cross on you, you're actually remembering your baptism. A lot of people don't know that. They think they're blessing themselves. Well, yes, you are being blessed by this. There is a blessing. There is an experience of God to be had here in that time. But don't rush through it. Take your fingers, dip them in the holy water, make the sign of the cross... And remember that all that God did for you at your baptism. Remember remembrance. It's not about remembering your baptism then. It's bringing the reality of your baptism then into now. What did the Old Testament people do that prefigured this? They washed themselves before they offered. What are we doing? We're going back to the waters of baptism, remembering our baptism that cleansed us from every stain. Emptied us so that we could be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what you're remembering even in that brief moment. If you just take more than just a second to consider the presence of God as you do this and His grace in that very act to bring the power and the love and the forgiveness of God that was there at your baptism into the immediate now. And that's the last step of preparation before we take our place to worship our Lord. And then we begin our worship of God. Now, I can't go, I, I would love to go through the whole Mass again. I can't. However, that's also a teaching that's online that I always send our inquirers and catechumens of that I did the first year that I was here called our life, the Mass and our life in Christ. Because it takes us step by step through every part of the Mass and how we experience God and the experience to be had there throughout the entirety of Mass. That's also online. But what I want to turn our attention to today is the basic idea of now that we have prepared, we have done Mass. What is the general gist of our disposition during Mass because of what we receive from God in the divine liturgy as He is present with us? And then how do we posture ourselves to leave Mass? That's what we're going to cover today. So let me take just a moment to ask you a question. I really want you to give thought to this. Let's have some ideas come forward. Or or some revelations come forward, I should say. If Christ is present with us, awaiting our arrival, where we join ourselves not only together and with heaven and earth, but we join ourselves with Christ who is present. What is Christ present to do for us? Give me some examples of the things that we receive from Him just in the Mass. What do we receive? Love. Love. We receive His love. Very good. He hears our prayers. He hears our prayers. And we have affirmation of that. With all of the visuals and the things in the prayers. 
What does he do? What else does he do for us? What does he? Huh? He forgives us. He forgives us. What do we cry out for at the very beginning? Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Have you? I've never known a moment where someone who is truly repentant in their heart asks for mercy and doesn't get it. Because God is a God of mercy. So mercy, forgiveness, good. What else? Grace. 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 Power. We, we receive and we leave with the power of God unto our own salvation and for the life of the world. Good. Good. What else? Peace. Who said that? Thank you. We say it out loud, right? When we say, you guys understand that in the Mass, and I'll remind us of this part, at the passing of the peace, you do understand this is very much the ministry of the priesthood, one living stone to another. It begins at the altar and flows from the altar through and to every living stone. That's why I turn first to the deacon and I say, the peace of the Lord be always with you. And he says, and also with you. Or he says the same thing back to me. And then you hear everyone should be saying the same thing. Extending the peace of God that He's come to offer one to another. It's not a time for conversation and how are you? And I'm so glad to see you. It is the ministry of each living stone to each living stone by the grace of God. Granting each one the blessing of God's peace. It's a beautiful picture. Peace flowing from the altar throughout every one of God's people. Good. Peace. How about this? How about that He is here to offer us every time we gather the greater revelation of Himself? How in the Mass does God offer the greater revelation of Himself? Scripture. Through the reading of Holy Scripture? What else? Singing the text of Scripture in song. Singing, yes, singing the text of Scripture in song. Oh, please, Lord, somebody say the sermon. I'll have a talk with each of you later. How about in just about everything we see, hear, and smell? Our Lord God, as long as He has had a people, has desired to reveal Himself through everything in His creation because He wants to reveal Himself to His people that badly. We see Him in the incense. We see Him in the bells that ring, that call our attention. We see Him in one another. We see Him in the vestments. We see Him in the everything proclaims something to the glory of God. Everything. We see it in the gospel procession. Christ, who up at the altar, the divine one, the timeless one, steps down to us and proceeds where? Right smack into the middle of us to live amongst us and to offer our salvation. We see Him revealed in that. We see Him in the experience that we're given through the healing of our souls and bodies sometimes when God so wills. You know, in the Mass, just after the priest remembers, that is, reenacts the words of our Lord Jesus Christ with the institution of the Lord's Supper, taking bread and wine and blessing it to be the body and blood, which, by the way, St. Ignatius, 
a direct disciple from the Apostle John. He said that the bread and the wine that becomes the body and the blood is the medicine of immortality for us. I love that phrase because it's actually phrasing differently something exactly that Jesus said in John in chapter 6. He said, he who eats of my flesh and drinks of my blood has eternal life. And St. And, and Saint Ignatius, the, the next generation of apostles, would say it that way, that, that it's the medicine of immortality that Christ offers of himself to us every time we gather. And Jesus says, he, um, or just after this prayer, once I'm done praying that, I'll summarize a prayer that I pray and you'll recognize it. Wherefore, O Lord, having in remembrance his blessed passion and precious death, his mighty resurrection and glorious ascension, rendering unto thee most hearty thanks for what? For the innumerable benefits procured for us by the same. What's the same? Through the Eucharist. Through the Eucharist. See, it's God's love and great desire for us that He makes Himself present with us to offer Himself to us. And what are the two words? What are the most two appropriate words that you can think of based on all these things that we've talked about that Christ offers us that are appropriate to say? Thank you. Thank you. You do understand that those two words are precisely what Eucharist means. The great thanksgiving. God offers, we receive, and we return with thanks. And this is how we begin to turn. The first half, if you, look at, if you will look at the liturgy as an ascension journey, and isn't that the Christian life? Ascending from the fall to Christ's divinity. To be sharers, participators, in His divine nature. We start here, we go here. The liturgy is the same. We begin with the plumb line, the cries for mercy, the preparation. But we do so with the absolute hope and knowledge that when we come and offer ourselves and all of our weaknesses, God in His perfection is going to offer Himself to cover us, to heal us, to mend us, to make us anew. And so we go through the Mass and we conclude after receiving Eucharist both with thanksgiving and preparation to leave. And that's what we're going to conclude in the last ten minutes that we have together is talking about this thanksgiving and how we leave and how, we, how God has us leave when it comes to the divine liturgy of the church. So, let's take a look. Turn in your card to the prayer of thanksgiving. We looked at the prayer of preparation last week. Now we take a look at the prayer of thanksgiving. This is the prayer of thanksgiving that we say every time we have just received Eucharist. Shall we say it together? Let us pray. Almighty and ever-living God, we most heartily thank Thee for that Thou dost vouchsafe to feed us who have duly received these holy mysteries with the spiritual food of the most precious body and blood of thy Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, and dost assure us thereby of thy favor and goodness towards us, and that we are very members incorporate in the mystical body of thy Son, which is the blessed company of all faithful people, and are also heirs through hope of thine everlasting kingdom. 
by the merits of his most precious death and passion. And we humbly beseech thee, O Heavenly Father, so to assist us with thy grace, that we may continue in that holy fellowship and do all such good works as thou hast prepared for us to walk in. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, to whom with thee and the Holy Ghost be all honor and glory. Okay, so you guys say that beautifully, you do it beautifully every time we gather together. I ask you one question. Do you consider what you're saying? Realistically, no. At times, no, right? I mean, I, I'm, I'm going to tell you honestly, you know, the Mass has a lot of words in it. And we do it all the time, same way, every time. It is a blessed, holy routine. I'll be the first one to admit to you that there are times that I blank out and have to refocus. It happens. But what I want us to do is at least, I want to make sure you have an understanding of all the things that we are thanking God for. And then how, even in this prayer, we're turning the corner to be sent out by our Lord for a further experience of God until we meet again. Okay? So let's have a look at these prayers. Here's what we're thanking God for, and I'll break it down one by one. We are, break, we are thanking God for the spiritual food that He gives us in His body and blood. We believe it is a means of grace. He takes bread and wine. It becomes a means of grace that grants us His life. It is the fulfillment of the manna that was in the desert that sustained the very lives of God's people. And so the Eucharist sustains ours. For Jesus Christ proclaimed, even in that same John chapter 6, when He lost so many disciples, by the way, saying that unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you have no life. They thought He's talking cannibalism. They bolted. And you've heard me say this before, but I often joke about once you come to the Lord's Supper, when He institutes the Lord's Supper, and the remaining disciples are with Him, He takes bread and He takes wine, He said, this is my body and blood. You almost want to think the disciples went, that's what He meant. That's what He meant. You know, because He literally lost so many disciples, speaking so literally that that unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you have no life in you. And by grace, the bread and the wine become that which sustains us and graces us for the continued ascension to Christ for all eternity. And so we thank God for that spiritual food. We, secondly, we thank God for the absolute assurance of His, listen to these words, His favor towards us. How many of you overzealously beat the heck out of yourself for your weaknesses? I hope you can become free of that. Let me beat you up because of your weaknesses. You relax about yourself. No. In all honesty, we all do this. We do not see ourselves like God sees us. Oh, don't think He doesn't see and acknowledge our weaknesses. We establish that in the College for Purity. But this God is so intent to see you healed and made anew. And He's intent to forgive and to forget. This is His love for you. And so we are reminded of that in this prayer of thanksgiving with that assurance that God actually favors us. He favors you as His child. 
and we thank Him for His goodness towards us. Then we thank Him that He has made us members of the one body of Christ, that You've joined us, that You have freed us from the bondage and tyranny of individualism, that You've made us into something so much greater, into the one body of Christ, just as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are one, so are we. And we thank Him for that. We thank Him that by virtue of the reality of what we receive through Christ, that we are heirs of eternal life. The hope is set secure in the Eucharist. The promise. The seal of the Holy Spirit. See? Now at this point in the prayer, after thanking Him for that, now we turn a corner. And we begin to intercede with God for our departure from this place. In fact, I want to put something into your minds regarding the divine liturgy of the church based on everything we've talked about so far and where we're going to head towards in just a moment. In college, I went to a a church retreat with a a, uh, congregation that uh, Korea Debbie, we were dating at the time, we belonged to. We went to this college, this, uh, it wasn't a college retreat, it was a church retreat. And it was, we went to school in Nashville, Tennessee, and this retreat was on a big, huge blessed, beautiful farm in the rolling hills of Tennessee. And it was owned by a husband and wife who are Christians. And so they, they opened up their whole property as a retreat house, built a couple of structures. But here's what I want you to see. When you would drive into the property, just like a ranch, you know, ranches have the gates and they usually have a banner, you know, that's over it, usually in iron or wood. Well, this one had a wooden banner. And when you drove through, the words on the sign were, we enter to worship. And you go and have your retreat. When you're driving out, you know what's on the back of the sign? Depart to serve. That would stick with me as far as Christian understanding God's set Christian worship. It would expand for me when I came to the ancient faith that we, just like that gate, we enter to worship. We enter to offer ourselves to God and receive life from Him. And then when we leave, it, it should be as if we have that banner on the door. Depart to serve. And we see this in the actual prayers. Okay, um, Listen to it. As we continue in prayer, the next thing we say, Assist us with thy grace, that we may continue in that holy fellowship. What holy fellowship? With God. Number one. With God and all the saints in heaven and earth. Assist us with thy grace that we may continue in that fellowship. The fellowship that we experienced to the utmost fullness within the Mass, within the liturgy. Now we depart and we ask for grace that that experience be continued until we meet again. That's what the prayer is. And then we continue praying. And that we be given grace to do all such good works that Christ has prepared for us to walk in. But and what, when? From now until we meet again. And then we receive grace again. And we ask for grace again. And then we depart to be about every good work that would glorify God in and through our lives until we come together again. This is what you pray Every prayer of thanksgiving. We thank Him for what He's done. We ask Him for grace to become and to draw from what He's done for us, granting us more grace to continue in it. That the world might see Him 
that we not only might be saved, but others around us might be saved. Now, on that point, at the end of Mass, we're going to close with this idea. At the end of Mass, after I say the Lord be with you, the deacon turns. And he says, the Mass has ended. And either depart in peace or let us bless the Lord depending on the Mass that we're doing. I'm going to tell you something honestly that I ache over that translation. It's given. Yes, it is taken from the Latin from which it came. But I want us to have something that the church teaches us. And I'm going to go back to the original Latin dismissal to help you understand it. Because it's more than what we say. Now, and I'll also tell you before I even go into it, that the church is considering a change. Not a change, a change back. Especially for the liturgy of St. Tikhon. In the liturgy of St. Gregory, many people still do uh, the, the Latin version of it. The, the Mass is not in Latin, but here are the words. The actual words of the dismissal of the liturgy of St. Gregory that dates back to the 4th and 5th century are ite misa est. And it doesn't just mean what we say, it means more. Ite means go. The thrust is you're being sent by who? Christ. Go. Misa has, it's one of those blessed Latin words that has dual meanings, all in one. It means depart. So like we say, depart in peace. We're right to say that according to the language. But it's more than that. It's two things. It's both depart and the word misa also comes from the shortened word misia, which is the Latin word for mission. So in that one word misa, it means go, depart, and be about your mission. Go, take everything that you have received and offer it for the life of the world. Isn't that beautiful? Now, I can't change the language. I don't have the authority to add that into it wording-wise. I do want you to know where it comes from so that when you hear the deacon say, depart in peace, you know that it's God saying, go to the mission that you've been sent to do. I send you. In fact, if you want to look at the liturgy like this, I would overlay Isaiah's experience in Isaiah and chapter 6, and it will show you the liturgy. In Isaiah chapter 6, in the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah is given this incredible vision of God. What happens? Isaiah enters in and God is waiting for him. Isn't that how the Mass begins and how we're to think? By the revelation of God, by His perfection and the perfection of the temple and the kingdom that He sees beyond the veil. He sees the train of the robe of God filling the temple. What is his response? Lord have mercy is his response. What he says is, oh Lord, I'm a man of unclean. I see my weakness in light of your perfection. And he bends down. He's the publican. He bends down. And what does God do for him? He takes the coal from the very altar of God. And he touches Isaiah's lips, the very point of his weakness. I'm a man of unclean lips. He touches it. He cleanses it. He heals it. Isaiah is restored. 
And then God asks, who shall I send for me? And Isaiah stands up having, because of the thankfulness in his heart for what God did for him in that moment, he stands up and said, here I am, Lord, send me. That's the Mass. That's the timeless liturgy of the church in heaven and on earth. You see that? And so when you hear, depart in peace, the Mass is ended, depart in peace, I really want you at least to hear and have in your mind that ancient text of the liturgy that is Christ. And by the way, should it surprise you that if we're celebrating the entire life of Christ within the Mass, that the very last thing He does is say, go and go to your mission? What's the last thing He said to His disciples right before He ascended? Go ye therefore. Go to your mission. And He gave them the mission. Hmm? So when we pray these prayers, my friends, do your best to wrestle with your humanity, which you will do every Mass. Do your best to wrestle with your, your humanity and offer the words, even if the priest is praying them. Because they are so filled with meaning and understanding. I hope that even though we've prayed how many times the prayer of thanksgiving at the end of Mass, that by our little talk and discussion and mentioning all the things that we are to be thankful for, that all of you mentioned brilliantly, that we understand what we're praying. We're thanking God. We're asking Him for the grace once He sends us. Now that He's cleansed us and restored us and offered His salvation to us, we go to testify of it in our in and through our very lives that more might experience the God of heaven and earth. Hmm? Let's stand.